Well, good morning, church. You can be seated. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing our study, How to Change the World. Well, it's great to be back home after being away for a week in London and then in Dinan in Brittany region of France and then in Paris. After 23 hours of travel yesterday, I arrived back home yesterday evening and it's great to be here. There's no place like home. And there's no place like Mission Hill. Would you do me a favor and welcome our Mission Hill family at Lake Carroll, at our ministry center at Six Mile, and then those that are joining us online. Maybe you've heard this phrase, or maybe you've said this phrase, you be you. It sums up our pop culture today. Don't tell someone else what they should be or who they should be. You do you and I'll do me. In other words, you just do your thing, your way, and I'll do my thing, my way. You live your life, I'll live my life. However you say it, it sounds okay. And we probably find ourselves saying these words in an effort to affirm or encourage someone else. And yet when you compare it with God's Word, you see this is not really a biblical mentality for life. Remember what we learned last week in Romans chapter 12? Two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Listen to that Word of God again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in light of all the compassion of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be you but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Our goal is not to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. That may be what you hear if you watch a motivational speaker. But our goal is to be consistently transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our calling. We should look more like Jesus tomorrow than we did today. And we should look more like Jesus the day after that than we did the day before. Not me be me. In fact, as a Christ follower, I am supposed to die to self. I am supposed to be crucified daily. So how do I do that? That's why I love this passage in the book of Romans. This passage begins to describe the how to how we live out our belief. So I want to dig into these verses, but first, let's pray once more. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we have gathered here, and with outstretched hands, I simply ask, fill us with your presence. Oh, Lord, I need what only you can give. I need to know what only you can teach. I need to be what only you can make. May it be so. Lord, with outstretched arms, I say, I surrender. Lord, I want only what you want, your will, not my will. Lord, with hands that are raised up to you, I desire today, would you be praised? Would you be glorified? Lord, let the words of my mouth and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer. And Lord, as we open your word, would you... Would you speak to us afresh and anew? There's someone who will hear these words that's not yet a follower, Jesus. 
May this be the day of their salvation. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be so clear that they're drawn to you. And Lord, for those of us who are a part of the family, and yet we're not living according to those gifts that you've given to us. We're not making a difference in the way that you've created us to make a difference. Lord, may this change today. And Lord, for all this, we say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me provide a little context. You remember what Romans is all about. This is a book of soteriology. It's describing how we are saved. Saved is a word that we in the church use to describe what it means to move from death to life, that transition uh, from life separated from God to a life united with God through Jesus Christ. We've been saved from the penalty and the punishment for our sins. We've been saved to a life with Christ forever, a life abundant, the Bible calls it, a life fulfilling. And so, in Romans chapter 12, after 11 chapters of Paul writing of what it means to be saved, he now says, therefore, in light of what you've learned about salvation, this now is how you should live. Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lay all that you are on the altar before God. Give yourself to God. That's what he wants. Sure, it's great that you give him a little bit of time once a week. Sure, it's awesome that you put something in the offering bucket or, or that you tithe online. Sure, it's great that you raise your hand and sing songs of praise, but God wants all of you. That's what he desires. He's saying, based on what you believe, your convictions, this is how you should behave. This should be your conduct. It's moving us, as Paul does in every one of his letters, from the doctrinal understanding of our faith to the practical outflowing of our faith in our daily lives. From our indicatives, here's what I know, to my imperatives. This is what I must do. It's what I understand. My learning needs to change my living and a lot of us have outlearned our obedience. We're educated beyond our obedience. Frankly, for many who attend church on a day like today, you don't need another Sunday school lesson. You need to practice what you already know to do. This is how we live for Christ. We've been discussing the creed, the confessions. We sing even, this is what we believe. That's our creed or our confession. Here he moves to our charismata, our gifting. This is what we look like. This is how each of us are different. I, I talked from one of the parallel passages several years ago in our church, and I reminded us of this truth. When our charismata, our gifting, affects our conduct, we see that in the way we live, then our confession or our creed is more credible to those around us. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the way God has made me begins to be lived out in my daily life, then people look beyond just what I'm saying and they begin to say, oh, that person is different. If not, we just look like what the world calls hypocrites. Those who profess one thing, but it doesn't seem to affect our lives. So now with that in mind, I want you to see today's passage, an encouraging passage as we continue in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. How many of you? It's every one of you. All Christ followers. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There are simply three truths I want you to understand. The first one is this today. You were created in the image of God, but you are not God. So stay in your lane. You do know you were created in the image of God, right? We learned that on the first page of the book. Genesis 1.27, so God created in his image mankind. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were made with God's likeness. And now as we follow Christ, we're challenged to be more like him every day. To be transformed into his image the Bible and the book of Acts tell us that those who were previously called those in the way, the way of Christ, in a city called Antioch, they were first called Christians, which simply means little Christ. They were the little Christs. They were the ones who looked like Christ. When, when people saw them, they said, now that, that man, that woman, they're like Jesus. That's what we are to be more like Christ. Now this begins from birth, even though we're separated from God because of our sin, because from birth, every one of us are created in the image of God. We've got a God-likeness. We call that the Imago Dei. On you is stamped the Imago Dei, and that gives you great worth, and that gives you great value, and that causes God to love you deeply. But we're separated from God because of our sin. That sin needs to be dealt with. If we don't deal with it, it's going to be punished by God. The punishment is death, forever separation from God. God doesn't want that. So what did he do? He demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5 tells us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we then look to Christ and trust what he's done for us, we receive salvation. That's what we've been learning. And as we are saved, then the image of God in us begins to be transformed more and more into his likeness. But we're not little gods. We have to remember our role. That's why the Bible repeatedly talks about humility in the Christian life. Jesus even modeled that. Remember what he said. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wasn't saying, you be you. He was saying, I, I need you to be more like me. As you become more like me, you, you understand that it's humility that, that draws you more into the presence of God. Deeply ingrained in our Christian faith is that understanding of who we are and who God is. It's the Isaiah principle. God is up high. We are down low. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me, for I am undone, a man of unclean lips. Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, what was the mindset? Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So we've learned about the gospel. We've learned about salvation. Now we begin to ask, what does our salvation teach us about us? What does the gospel teach you about you? It teaches you not to think more highly of yourself than you should. What do you think about when you think about the gospel? Think about how needy you are. You think about the songs we sing, all my hope is in you, Lord. Turn my eyes upon Jesus. We recognize our our neediness, our our desperation, but we we also see that we should not think of ourselves more lowly than we ought. We're in the image of God. We're valued by God. Half-brother of Jesus, James, ended up pastoring the Jerusalem church. Now, if he would have been living in the social media age, do you know what James, let's call him Pastor James, what his profile pic would have been? It would have been a picture of him and Jesus. He's like, hey, that's my brother. I mean, he had reason to boast. He was Jesus' brother. And yet this is what he says in James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Oh, one of the first things we learn when we begin to see how we must live out our Christian faith is that we need a proper perspective. We have to understand humility in light of who God is. Less celebrity, more humility. Oh, that that would be so even among my tribe. Even among preachers of the gospel who have seemed to bought into this culture that you have to build platforms and prominence and positions rather than just humbling ourselves in the sight of God. Paul was reminding Christ's followers that while we have salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we must not presume that we can live however we choose. That would be the epitome of pride. Started in the garden. I'll do me, you do you. Whatever I want. If that's not what we should do, then that leads us to the second truth. Here it is. God created you on purpose for a purpose. Discover your purpose. Now, If you hang out here much, you've heard me say those exact words. It's because we need to hear it again and again and again. God created you on purpose for a purpose. Here's your job. You got one job. Discover your purpose. Look again at verses 4 and 5. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, all right, sometimes you need to explain Scripture. Do you understand what I've just read? Just as each one of us have a body with different members. What is this part of my body? Church. What is this part of my body? What is this part of my body? What is this part of my body? Don't, don't, 
don't be making fun of my stomach. I'm trying. I was just on a mission trip. I had to eat a lot of French pastries. Okay. And then what is this part of my body? My head. Okay. So just as each of us has one body with all these different parts, not all of these parts, these members have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Just like in the human body, this finger, it doesn't do a lot of good if it's disconnected from the hand. This foot is rather useless if it becomes disconnected from the leg. My head... Boy, it's not going to be near as productive if it's disconnected from the rest of the body. The same thing is true in you, the body of Christ. That's why I believe as a pastor that one of the tactics of the enemy during these last few years is to separate people from the body of Christ and to isolate them and, and to keep them home and to make them think that it's all right not to gather together even though God's Word says we must. So Paul's saying, hey, all of us are different. We all have a purpose. you got to discover your purpose. And he begins to talk about what we call in the Bible spiritual gifts. Now, you're probably in one of three categories here. Either you're from a church that talked about spiritual gifts all the time. You need to pray for certain gifts, and you need to hope you have these gifts, and that's all they talked. Or you're from a church that didn't talk about them too much, or you have no idea what I'm talking about. There are only four New Testament passages that really deal with spiritual gifts. Three of these were written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. One is Romans 12, another parallel passage almost just like this. is 1 Corinthians 12, and then in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about spiritual gifts. And then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about this. This is just six verses here. So this is not an exhaustive study on spiritual gifts. We could not do that. That's not our purpose today. But I do want you to understand a few things. First, what do we believe about spiritual gifts? Let me give you a definition. Spiritual gifts are divine. That means they're God-given abilities that enable a follower of Christ to serve and to minister with great effectiveness for the glory of God. So spiritual gifts are these things that God's given to you, not just to make your name great, but he's given this so that you can serve others and minister on his behalf, and you do that with effectiveness, and you could add with fulfillment for the glory of God. Now, as we've journeyed through Romans, we've discovered that everyone receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? When I become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. That's not something I have to pray for. Newsflash. Let me say that again for those of you that have heard otherwise. That's not something I have to pray for. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also says when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are given the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about in Romans chapter 12. Everybody looks forward to a couple times of year when they receive gifts, usually Christmas and, and their birthday. Well, the Bible says on your spiritual birthday, you received gifts from God's spiritual gifts. And here's what it says. Every follower of Christ has these gifts. Paul says, I'm talking to all of you. This is every one of you. Peter confirms this in 1 Peter 4. Every one of you have these gifts. 
Some have divided spiritual gifts into three categories, serving and speaking and sign gifts, or maybe it's called motivational or ministry or manifestation gifts. In this passage, in Romans chapter 12, Paul lists seven gifts. I kind of like the grouping thinking of this as motivational gifts. And I tend to believe that we all have at least one of these motivational gifts. What does that mean? The other things that we do in the service and the honor and the glory to the Lord are for the purpose of giving him praise and are motivated by one of these things. So let me read them to us again. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let me just walk through these quickly. Again, not a class on spiritual gifts. In fact, we do have a class on spiritual gifts to help you discover what it means to live out your gifting. The next one of those begins in a week and a half. It's called the network class. It's taught by my friends Robert and Rosemary Holt. It'll take place on Wednesday night, March 29th at 6.30 p.m. You can be a part of that and learn how to find your place in the body, finding out what motivates you, what drives you spiritually. But let me walk through this list. Number one, the gift of prophecy. In the Bible, there are two kinds of prophecy. One of those is foretelling, telling the future. That's what the Old Testament prophets did. That's not what it's talking about here. This is telling forth. It's speaking the truth of God in love. It's not a new word of prophecy that's contradicting or adding to anything that we already have in the perfect revealed word of God, but it is a word of truth that that God may have for us today. I believe when I speak to you each week, it's a word of prophecy. It's a word of truth from the Lord. Those who have this gift, they tend to see things pretty black and white. They're very straightforward in, in how they talk to you about the things of God. You know this kind of person, a prophet who says, thus saith the Lord. This, this is the way that it's going to be. My dad was a prophet. Usually, God's not a dummy. All, all of our other personal personality features kind of tie into our spiritual gifting. So my dad was also kind of a strong leader, a type A personality He was a Marine for a few years. He was a prophet. Next uh, is the teacher. The teacher likes to dig in and and help you understand the truth of God's Word. So likes to study, likes to know more, uh, likes to get behind just the facts and understand the details of, of what's going on. This may make a great teacher in a church setting, But it may just be someone who really enjoys digging in and and, and getting behind the Scriptures more. And, you know, if you you have this gifting, sometimes you may be frustrated because you feel like others are are just staying at a surface level. They're not getting deep enough for you. A a message like this may frustrate you because you're saying, tell me more. Just give me more of this. I want to know more. Then there's the gift of serving. The servant would be behind the the scenes. Those first two motivations usually lead someone to have a kind of upfront ministry role. But the servant, no, they'd be the person that's making sure the, the connect cards are on the seats and that the chairs have been set up in their proper position and that the sound lights are working and that, that people are where they need to be. 
They, they really don't want to be up front. They find fulfillment in joy, kind of being that second chair and serving others. Or the gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement is pretty simple. It does exactly what it says. It, it, it just encourages others. You find fulfillment. You are energized when you, when you see that someone else is being fulfilled in what they do. So you'll do everything you can, whether it's a kind word or, or whether it's serving them or anything you can do to boost up someone else. That, that gift of encouragement. I mentioned my friend Robert Holt a while ago. He and Rosemary lead that that network class, I actually texted with Robert this morning because I text with him every Sunday morning because Robert has that gift of encouragement. He sends me some version of this every Sunday morning. Pastor, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you today. And then he knows enough about the passage I'm coming from that he usually gives a, a little blurb about that just to be an encouragement to what God's doing. There are days that even on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking, who am I that I'd get up and stand before God's people? I'm so unworthy. I may not feel prepared, or maybe like today, I feel a little weary, and I'll get that text, and it's encouragement to my soul. That's what that gift does. Then there's the gift of giving. The gift of giving may be someone that God has blessed materially, but it may not be. But they've discovered that they find joy in giving to others. That's something they do freely. When you're acting in your gifting, it's something that you do rather freely. It's not something you feel compelled to do. The gift of leading, or some translations would call this administration. This person easily sees the bird's eye view. And so yesterday, um, yesterday we were walking through the Newark airport. And I was so thankful that my theology teaches me that I cannot lose my salvation because I really thought I was going to on several occasions. I just looked at so many of the things that they were doing and just wanted to cry out, why? Why didn't someone get this together better than it's organized? This is so messed up. Part of that is that that gift of leading or administration in me that, that causes me to see how I feel like things should be and, and want to get them in order. The gift of leading or the administration. And then the gift of mercy. That gift of mercy is, man, you don't want them in charge of the benevolence committee because they'll give away all the money. <laughs> the mercy just, man, they have such a tender heart. They just want to care for everyone. Now remember, these are motivating things. This is what's driving your every decision. And I've told this story before, but it, it illustrates it to me straight from my life as a young man in ministry. Was first ministry position, I was a student pastor, and parents were mad at me for a choice I'd made. And I was calling my mentor and my pastor my daddy. And I got on the phone, and I was just belly aching. And he let me belly ache for a few minutes. And I just said, I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do. He said, i tell you what you need to do, son. I'm like, okay, let me get my pencil. I'm ready. He said, you either need to get thicker skin or just get out of the ministry. The prophet. So you know what I said? Uh, Thanks, Dad. Hey, can I speak to Mom? (laughs) My mom has the gift of mercy. I mean, I just needed a little compassion. What about you? Where are you on this list? Which of those things just on that flyover 
What motivates how you do things in the Lord's church? Now, think about this. Everybody's called to do all of these things, right? We all should speak the truth in love. We all should seek to grow. The Bible says study to show yourself approved, so we should get into God's Word. We all should serve others. That's a biblical model, right? We all should lead out when we're called to lead. We, we all should show mercy. We all should be givers. We all should be encouragers. But some of us were created with specific purposes that God wants us to use for his glory. And when you read this list, you should be reminded that God created you for purpose on purpose. Now, I hope some of you will go be a part of this network class. But until then, let me just walk you through how to... How do you know what your gift is? Can I just give you a few things? Number one, you you need to make sure you're a Christian because this is part of the family of God. You receive this when you begin a relationship with Christ. So if you're thinking, I don't know if I've got a gift, then the first thing you need to do is, is go back and say, where are you in that relationship with God? Secondly, know what the gifts are. So look at those passages, and you can go beyond Romans 12, look at 1 Corinthians 12, look at Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, and and look at those gift lists. And and I don't necessarily think those gift lists are even exhausted, but just say, God, how have you gifted me? Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, as it says in verse 1 of Romans 12. Just just begin to say to God, God, I I want your will in my life. I want to live out my faith the way you would have me live out my faith. Not just what I want to do, then pray for wisdom. Man, I can't tell you how many Christ followers don't take advantage of one of these promises that God's Word has given us. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let me see your hand if you've ever lacked wisdom. That's all of us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And then do you know what it says? Who gives generously. God will give you wisdom. He doesn't desire to keep you in the dark. Ask God, God, how have you gifted me? And then jump in and start serving. You're never going to discover your giftedness by sitting on the sidelines. In fact, it's a good time for me to remind you of this reality. If you just come to church and you just sit, and like sometimes I hear people say, you just soak it in. Do you know what happens? Well, what happens in your washing machine when you put something in this and it just sits and it soaks? What eventually happens? It sours. And I think that's one reason we have so many sour followers of Christ is because they're just sitting and they're soaking in all the worship music and all the messages and they're not finding an outlet to use their gifts, that purpose for which God has created. And then listen, where are others commending you? Where are others saying, man, it really blesses me. You know, my friend Ray's another encourager. And it blesses me. He's also a giver. It blesses me when he encourages me. And so I want him to know that. I want him to see. I want Robert to see they're, they're utilizing their gifts. My friend Bill has been teaching God's Word for a lot of years here in this church. I want him not just to hear from people in his class, but to hear from others that God uses that study and that work that he puts into that. My friends, Charlie and Kim, man, they came in like me after 23 hours of travel uh, on a trip, and they were here early this morning, and and they're on cameras right now serving behind the scenes. 
I want them to know it's a blessing. And so when other people tell you like that, hey, I, I'm blessed by what you do, then you begin to say, well, maybe, maybe that's a part of my gifting mixed. But don't seek a particular gift. Just understand that, that God's got this under control. You stay humble. Stay in your lane and discover your purpose. Let me give you this last thing, and then I want to pray with you. When you do your part, the body becomes healthy. So that in that sense, you do do you. But you be the God God, but you be the you God created you to be. And I don't think there's a better way for me to explain this than just to re read the first Corinthians passage from the paraphrase of Scripture called the message. So this is the Word of God. Kind of put it into modern-day language from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Remember, I was buried to my old way of living. I was raised to new life. Each of us is now part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek or slave or free, they're no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong in the body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like I, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If it was all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts. Each is proper size and its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you. Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job's been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, but not a stomach. When it's part of your own body you're concerned with, it, it makes no difference whether the part's visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part depended on every other part. The parts we mention, the parts we don't, the parts we see, the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. You are 
Christ body. That's who you are. So do your part. Be the you that God created you to be. Eternity depends on it. So in London, we were able to see some sights that everyone who visits these world cities sees, but we had a little different purpose. We stood in front of Buckingham Palace, and we were challenged by my friend Dennis Peathers, who leads Rooftop Ministries. He said, I want you, as you walk around outside these gates, just to ask God if, if he would have you have any conversations with any of the people you see. One of the most photographed sites in the world, thousands of people coming by all the time. And so we set out, divided into groups of two, but there were nine of us. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll be by myself. And here's what I was thinking. Boy, did I show them. I've got a good gig. I'm just a person that's kind of walking around and looking, and, and so I can easily just walk up to people who look like they're taking selfies and say, hey, can I take a picture for you? And so I began to do this. I saw one couple, who knows, maybe on their honeymoon, and I said, they were taking a selfie. Hey, I said, hey, can I grab a picture for you? They said, no, thanks. I, I go up to another couple of folks and it looked like they were taking a, a selfie. And I said, hey, I'll take a picture for you. And they'll say, nah, we're not interested. I did that four times and I constantly got rejected. And then I began to look around and you know what I saw? Everywhere I looked, there were other people from our team. They were, they were talking with people. They were praying with people. They were engaging with people. And I begin to think, God, what are you doing? And I'm not one who feels like God speaks to me audibly, but that day I felt like God clearly said, hey, Paul, I just want you to remember something. I don't need professionals. I just need obedience. And you know, the, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loved, and I, I felt like that was a slight scolding in that moment, but I just began to smile because I thought, thank you, Lord. You didn't need me. You've got this team of eight other people, and every one of them is engaged with some stranger, and they're praying with them all around Buckingham Palace right now, and they're telling them about the one true king. Man, it was a great moment, and then I walked by, and there was this couple. I could tell they were American and they were taking a selfie, and I said, hey, guys, um, could I take a picture of you? And the guy said, no, thanks. <laughs> and then the lady said, yeah, would you please do that? And so I did. I talked about where are you from. They said Vegas, and the guy was funny. He said, you know, we've got all this in Vegas. We've got the Eiffel Tower. We've got the palace. We've got everything. I said, yeah, it's kind of crazy there, isn't it? He said, yeah. And so we talked a little bit about their trip, and then I said, hey, honestly, what what I'm doing out here is I'm just seeing, is there anything going on in your life I can pray for? And the guy said, no, no thanks, man. And, and then the lady said, yeah, pray for his brother. He's dying of cancer. And we began to pause right there in front of the main gate of Buckingham Palace. And, and we began to pray. 
And I prayed through the gospel because I didn't know where they, they were. I just wanted to take that opportunity for it to be a gospel conversation and prayed, God, I know that just like me, every one of us are born separated from you because of our sin, and that sin's going to keep us separated forever unless it's dealt with. But thank you, Jesus, you dealt with it on the cross. And God, you've loved us so much that just like his brother, I think his name was Scott, and just like their names, and I named each of their names, you, and just like me, you, you died for me so that I could have a relationship with you. So even if illness takes my life, eternity is secure. God, I thank you for this. Then I just prayed for other things, for his brother and for them. Man, when I was able to say amen, I looked up and he was moved and she was crying. And I walked away thinking, God, if we can get this right, if we can understand that it doesn't take professionals it just takes the body of Christ spreading out, doing what you've created us to do right where we are. If we can just get this right, what a difference we can make for your glory. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. So yeah, you be the you that God created you to be. And let's get busy and change the world. But, but you can't do that if you're not a part of the family of God. So if you're hearing these words and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, everything I just walked through is applicable to you. God does love you, and he desires a relationship with you. But you've got to acknowledge that you need him and that his death was the punishment for your sin just like it was mine. But when you do that and you turn to Christ and follow him, it changes everything. And you can begin to live out that very purpose for which you were created. So let's begin to do that right now. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I, I thank you just for that experience. That cold day outside of Buckingham, just for how you spoke to me. But God, you're still alive, and so I'm asking that you would speak to each of us right now about your purposes for this moment. Just as clearly as you gave me that word, would you give us a word today from you? Lord, for that Christ follower, maybe they've gotten content just sitting and soaking, or maybe they're, they're doing stuff, but it's not effective and fulfilling, fulfilling because they're not living out their gifting. Lord, I pray that today would be a spark in their journey of faith, and you would call them into more vibrancy for you. Lord, but for that person that doesn't know you, call them to yourself, Father. Maybe right where you are, you would just pray these words to God. If you, if you know you need a relationship with him, maybe you would just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sin. I need forgiveness. And I receive your forgiveness. So come into my life. I repent. I turn from going my way and doing my thing, living for my glory. I'm ready to follow you. Change me, Lord. Save me right here, right now. I tell him thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
Oh, Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, may your body be encouraged as we're sent out in a few minutes. Lord, may we look more like you because we've been here. Lord, and even as we worship you now, stir in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to be standing here at the front. If there's any way I can pray with you or serve you, Pastor Zach's here as well. We want to do that. Maybe you prayed that prayer to begin a relationship with Christ and you want to share that with someone. You come. Let's just worship the Lord together right now. Would you worship Him? When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's worth That will bless your heart that again I'm coming back I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you it's all about you Jesus this is our confession I'm sorry Lord for the thing I made it when it's all about you it's all about you Thank you, Lord Jesus. We've gathered in your name, worshiping you. Our desire is that you're praised, that you receive honor and you receive glory as a result of our time together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Amen. Would you be seated just for another couple of moments? Glad you've chosen to be here. Man, it turned cold while we were across the pond. And uh, it was cold there too, by the way. I'm glad you braved a brisk spring break morning. Uh, we're, we're aiming toward Easter. I hope you're receiving our, our daily emails from our pastors that are just challenging us in this 40 days of prayer toward Easter. Um, but I hope you're preparing for Easter. I hope you're thinking about who you would invite from your little corner of the world to be a part of our Easter services. That's going to be a big day. The people around you are more open to come to church on Christmas and Easter than any other time of the year. So our strategy as a church, we don't want to make fun of those that come that time of year. We want to embrace them, and we want them during those days to feel a desire to be here on a regular basis because they've been changed by the Holy Spirit of God. So who are those people in your little corner of the world? I want to take a, a moment of prayer. How many of you would say, Pastor, there's somebody in my little corner of the world that I'm praying for right now that they would be my guest on Easter weekend? If you've got somebody like that, would you just stand up right now? We want a voice of prayer. Somebody in your corner of the world, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a co-worker. Now, I'm just telling you, if you don't have somebody, you might should be asking, man, I don't have anybody I'm inviting to worship. Does everybody I know, here, here's the options, just to be clear. Either everybody you know is a follower of Christ and actively in the body of Christ, the church somewhere. If so, you need to get to know some more people. Or... Yeah, I guess the other one is it, your plate's full. You, you, you don't have time for that. So, all right, let me pray for these of us that are standing. Father, we have people in our lives that uh, we care about, and Lord, we want them changed. And so, Lord, as we think about inviting them to be with us on Easter weekend, we pray that you would uh, just uh, give them even now that desire to be open to that conversation and to respond to the invitation. And Lord, when they do come, Lord, we pray that that they'll be drawn close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated.